Jude wrote his epistle to address an urgent problem. In fact, it was so urgent that he set aside his original plan. <clears throat> he was going to write his version of the book of Romans to really talk about all that the gospel is to us. But there was an urgent problem. Spiritual counterfeits were infiltrating the church. And in their words and actions, they were working to lead people away from Christ, and they were doing this inside the church. This is still happening today. Remember I mentioned last week that I found two counterfeits without really looking for them. Here's what one said in his own words. I want people to see a different view of Christianity. We have a cultural view of Christianity that pastors are against this and that. I'll be at the Pride Festival, marching with a group, visiting with people. There is this culture that people believe homosexuality is a sin, which I don't. I want people to see a different view of Christianity. I want to change people's view of what it means to follow Jesus. This man is just one of many counterfeits in our world today. And a counterfeit is a good imitation of the original. A counterfeit is not the original, it's not the real thing, but it looks like the real thing. This man calls himself pastor, he's found in a local church, and yet as you can see, he fits Jude's description of a spiritual counterfeit. Counterfeits are real, and we must know one when we see one, and avoid them when we see them. That's Jude's message. Well, how do we live in such a world? Jude closes his epistle with practical advice for you and for me. He shows us how to live in a world where we will find spiritual counterfeits, like the one I just mentioned, and others as well. They're out there, and they're going to continue to be in our world until the Lord Jesus returns. Well, how do we live in such a world? Well, the answer is, and Jude tells us, live life. Live a biblical Christian life. Well, how do we live that Christian life in today's world? He shows us how to do it here in verses 17 through 25 in seven different ways. And number one, step number one to living a Christian life in today's world is to understand the times. Now, we know that God is in control of all things, and he has a plan for history. Daniel 2 says this, speaking of God, it is he who changes the times and the epics. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. And God is the Lord of history. We can say that history is literally his story. And God directs the events of our world to fulfill his plan. Now, to live in a world where counterfeits continue to multiply, we need to understand the times. We need to understand what time it is today in God's plan. Take a look at verse 17. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. And to understand the times, we need to go to the only reliable source about our times today, and that is the Word of God. The world won't tell us what time it is in God's program. We can't find out on our own by studying and investigating. We need to look to the Word of God. We got a new 
toner cartridge for our copier today. And so we went into the office to try to replace it. And I'm fooling around with this. And finally I said, we need the directions. And we took out the directions and we were able to figure out what could not be figured out without the directions. And there is now a new cartridge in the copier and it's working again. Well, in the same way, when all else fails, read the instructions. And the Word of God has reliable information about what time it is in history, what time it is in God's program for the ages. And it says here that we ought to remember the words spoken beforehand by the apostles. And so this is information that is in our Bibles, but it should also be in our minds, in our hearts. We should be able to say, what time is it in God's program? And we should be able to say, I remember, I know, because I've studied this and I've remembered this. And so he says, keep this in mind. And he says, we need to remember the words of the apostles. This is the word of God. They were the authors of the New Testament. And when they discovered which books belonged in the Bible, they said, we need books that were written by an apostle or under the authority of of an apostle. So we have the apostles' writings. That's the Word of God. That's the New Testament. And it is the New Testament that tells us where we are in God's program, what time it is in God's plan for the ages. Verse 17 says this, they were saying to you, verse 18, in the last time there will be mockers. And so we are in a time today that the Bible calls the last time, the last time. And these are the days right before the return of the Lord Jesus, the days right before the day of the Lord and the great end time drama, the tribulation, the judgments, the kingdom and the eternal state. All of that's going to happen very quickly once it begins at Jesus return. And we are in the last time, the time period before Jesus returns and all of these events begin to unfold really in rapid succession. The Bible says this about the, the last time or the last days in Hebrews 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son. So the Old Testament was the time of the prophets, and they spoke in many ways. Today we're in the New Testament. We're in the last days, and the Lord Jesus is God's final message to us. John said this in 1 John 2, Children, it is the last hour, and just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. And from this we know that it is the last hour. So it is the last time, it is the last days, it is the last hour. We are very close to the return of the Lord Jesus and the beginning of the day of the Lord. John says this in Second John chapter 1, he said, many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Now, there is a single antichrist who will appear in the end times. However, there are many antichrists appearing at the present time in these last days. And anti means against. And the antichrist of our time is a spiritual deceiver who speaks against Christ. He distorts and contradicts what the Bible says about the Lord Jesus. The word anti also means instead of or 
in place of. And there are some who claim to be Jesus Christ. They are false Christs who will appear in these last days. And there have been people through this time period who have said they are Jesus Christ. And in these last days, we can expect to see spiritual counterfeits multiply. There won't be fewer, there will be more. Verse 18 says, In the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. And these antichrists, these spiritual deceivers, these counterfeits, will make fun of Christ and the things of God. They are mockers. They think that the things we believe are a joke, and they'll make a joke about it. They're also driven by sin, says they're following after their own ungodly lusts. They'll also divide churches and believers with their non-biblical teachings. It says this, verse 19, these are the ones who cause divisions, and so they will divide churches and believers from one another with their non-biblical teachings. And they're also unsaved. And that's what's interesting about the counterfeit. The counterfeit, and I saw a video of the one I shared with you this morning, he looks very much like a pastor. Very, you know, in every way, sounds like one, looks like one, talks like one, is in a church like you would find a pastor, but a counterfeit. And in doing this, you say, well, what about these? What about their spiritual condition? Here, Jude tells us that the counterfeit is not a believer, but he's not saved. Look at verse 19. Worldly-minded devoid of the Spirit. And so this is a person who is natural, not spiritual. Not born again, but a natural, unsaved person, but yet trying to look like, as a counterfeit, trying to look like a teacher, a pastor, someone who you'd find in a local church. So to live in a world filled with spiritual counterfeits, we need to know what time it is in God's program. And the only way to find this out is in the Word of God. The world won't tell us. Other books that are not the Bible won't tell us. We can't figure it out on our own, but the Word of God tells us what time it is. And we are in the last time, the last days before Jesus Christ returns, and the tremendous end-time events will begin. It's a time when false teachers will multiply. So don't be discouraged by this. This is something we can expect. It's something that is normal for this time period. Years ago, I was working with a carpenter, and I'd been a cabinet maker and millman, and they live in different worlds. In the cabinet shop, everything is a square corner. 90 degrees, no more, no less. Or 45 degrees, no more, no less. Or 30 degrees, no more, no less. Working on an old house, there's no such thing as 90 degrees. There's no such thing as 45 degrees. And so I was putting two pieces together that were supposed to fit on this part of the house, and... Uh, I said to the foreman, I said, these don't fit. He said, that's normal. And he showed me how to figure out how to make things fit that wouldn't fit. And so again, he was showing me what's normal for working on an old house. And what's normal for working on an old house is not what's normal for working in the shop. And what's normal for our time is a proliferation of false teachers, of spiritual counterfeits. We'll find them, and they are out there. They'll find us. We don't have to go looking. They'll find us, probably. And so don't be discouraged by it. It tells us that God's plan is on schedule. God is not behind these counterfeits, but he is allowing them to operate within his sovereign plan. And they have a place in his plan for our time. The plan is on schedule. He's in control. And these last days are the best time to be saved. 
Now people say, well, I'm going to do what I want and I'll get saved during the tribulation. Not a great idea. It's going to be very difficult to be saved during that time. People will be saved, but they will pay a steep price for their faith. Now is the time. That's why we call it the last days. And you get to say, well, we don't get sale flyers anymore. You get it in an email or you get it in a text that says, last chance to buy whatever it is. And now is the best chance to be saved. And then number two for living in these days is to be a student of the word. Now, to live in a world of counterfeits, we need to immerse ourselves in the truth of the Word of God. Verse 20, he says this, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. Now, this is the language of the construction site. The foundation has been laid, and it's now time to, to build the structure. The foundation is the basics of the gospel. The things we believe about salvation and being born again, we have that already established in our lives. And so the foundation has been laid, and now the structure is going up one floor at a time. I have a book about the amazing project building the Empire State Building. It's amazing they built this, dug this huge foundation, put it in, and then the building went up floor after floor after floor. And there's a great picture of these construction workers sitting side by side on an I-beam, I don't know how many floors up, eating their lunch. And just like they're sitting in a cafe, but they're sitting, you know, 100 feet off the ground on this I-beam having their lunch. And uh, pretty amazing. And it was actually quite a safe project in spite of the way it looked. <laughs> and so that building went up floor by floor, and almost before you knew it, it was completed. Well, in the same way, we need to be growing in the faith, in our knowledge of the faith, that is, our knowledge of the things that Christians believe. And we're to grow step by step, floor by floor, just like a building that is going up on a construction site. And this is the responsibility of every believer. This is not something we can delegate to others. It says, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. And so each of us is responsible to be growing in our Christian faith. And a firm grasp of the truth is our best protection against the counterfeit. Now, bank tellers are experts at spotting counterfeit money. There's different ways they do that. And one of the ways that, one of the easiest ways for the experienced teller is to detect counterfeit money by feel. And an authentic American bill, whatever it is, a $20 bill, feels different than a counterfeit bill. The paper is different. It has a different texture, a different feel. And so he can be counting a stack of bills and will feel that counterfeit before he's had a chance to even look at it. He can tell. Why is that? Because 99% of the time, he's handling the real thing. But every now and then, a counterfeit comes through and he can respond to it. He can identify it right away. I have a couple of books on my shelf. One is about this thick, and then if you add the two together, they're maybe about that, maybe about that thick. You know, pretty, pretty stout couple of books. And they're all about spiritual counterfeits, but they're not about every one, because there's new ones all the time. They mutate and multiply constantly. And there's no way for us to really know all of the counterfeits that are out there. But we can know the truth. So when a counterfeit comes along, 
then we'll know right away. We have some friends who went to a church that was a spiritual counterfeit. In fact, I interviewed a pastor of one of those churches years ago, and they told me they were traveling, and they went to this church, and they told me the name, and I said, oh, I know this one. And I said, what did you think? And they said, well, we left partway through the service. I said, why is that? Well, something wasn't right. And they realized they were in the presence of a spiritual counterfeit. Why is that? Because they were well taught in the truth and they could spot a counterfeit right away. They'd never heard of this type of church before. They thought it was a Bible teaching church. But of course it wasn't. And the way they knew is that they knew the truth and they could spot the error. And so really that's what we need to do is be have a firm grasp of the truth in order to detect spiritual counterfeits. And so be a student of the Word and master the Bible's teachings on the basics of what we believe. What are some of those? Well, what does the Bible say about itself? What is it that makes the Bible different from every other book? We know that the Bible says that it is inspired by God. It is God's book written through men, but it has God's message to us. No mistakes at all. The Bible says this about itself and many other things. And then, of course, what does the Bible say about us, about human beings? We're talking about this in Romans, that every person who's ever been born needs to be saved, and there are many reasons for this. The Bible talks about this. What does it say about salvation? Well, there's one person, one way to be saved, Jesus Christ. What does it say about Christ? The counterfeits will have all kinds of ideas about Jesus Christ. He was a good man, a wise teacher, but he isn't God. Well, the Bible tells us who he is, and Jesus himself said, I and the Father are one. And then, of course, salvation. Well, the counterfeits, if they talk about salvation, they'll say, well, everybody's going to heaven, so don't worry about it. Or they'll say, just be good and you'll be fine. But the Bible says, no, by grace we're saved through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so the Bible talks about salvation. What about things to come? You know, there are things we cannot find out about on our own. If you're a sports fan, you wonder, what is my team going to do this year? If you're into politics, you wonder, what does the future hold in that realm? Nobody knows. And we wonder about the future and we talk about it, but we can't really discover what it is. But the Bible unveils things to come. We talked about that in Sunday School today, how the Bible unveils things that are to come, things that we can't know except from the Bible. And so these are some of the things that the Bible teaches. These are some of the basics of our Christian faith, and we need to be growing in our knowledge of these things. And to master basic truths, it's good to memorize Scripture. You'll see this on your bulletin today. Your word I have treasured in my heart, that I may not sin against you. And as we memorize Scripture, we begin to get a real grasp of the truth. Psalm 1 shows us how to grow in our knowledge of the word. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He'll be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does he prospers. And so we need to reject the wisdom of this world, but instead, delight in the wisdom of the Word and meditate on it. Be thinking about it. You know, we're really kind of inundated with information, things we can listen to, things that can distract us throughout the day. And there is some value to thinking about what we know from Scripture. I remember reading about a guy who, and you know, woodworkers are kind of notorious for this, when uh, things are slow business-wise, 
you begin to say, I would never have taken this project before, but I'm going to take it because I'm out of work. And so this fellow had no jobs coming in, and he took a commission for a spiral staircase with no center pole. And uh, so he thought, well, there's got to be something about this in a book somewhere. So I went to the library, nothing. This is before the Internet, so you couldn't just find it all on your phone. So he looked and looked. He asked other people. Nobody knew how to do it. So he said, my alternative was to think. And that's how he solved the problem. He had enough knowledge to really answer his question, but he did it through pondering the problem and, and thinking it through. And it's important for us to think about what we read. One of the ways we can do that is we read a text and we say, well, what does it say? Do I know exactly what these words are saying? And what does it mean? And finally, why is it important? Why is it here in the Bible? Why is it here for me? How do I apply this? And we can, we can do this as we meditate on Scripture. That's what the man in Psalm 1 does. He's meditating all the time, whenever he has time. He's thinking about Scripture and studying it in his mind and pondering it and applying it. <clears throat> and so we really need to delight in the wisdom of the Word and apply it and watch how God blesses our lives. So to live in a world of spiritual counterfeits, be a student of the Word. Sunday school, our worship times are good places to start. What's your plan for continuing that construction project in our lives that is our growth in our knowledge of the faith? And in number three, be a person of prayer. Now, living in these days of apostasy and spiritual deception can be discouraging. You know, as I watched the video of that counterfeit preaching, the camera panned toward the congregation, and that bothered me. Because there were people there. They were listening. They were hearing the kinds of false things that he teaches. They were believing it. They were thinking they were saved, and very likely they're not. And I thought, this is disturbing. It really is disturbing, and it can be discouraging when you think about a world where there are active counterfeits out there. Well, again, don't be discouraged. Be a person of prayer. We can bring our burdens to the Lord. These are things to pray about. We can be a part of what God is doing as we pray and see his answer. And the Lord Jesus was a great man of prayer and teaches us how to pray. Jesus taught us this, to pray for clear direction and vision in our lives. Now, Mark 1, we read this. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and left the house and went away to a secluded place, and he was praying there. Simon and his companions searched for him. They found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. He said to them, Let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby, that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. Now Jesus was in Capernaum, Peter's home, and he had had an amazing healing ministry there. Peter's house was full of people. The whole town was at the door. He was healing all kinds of people, and it was ongoing. And he didn't get to everyone that day and night before. And so early in the morning, people are looking for the Lord Jesus to continue this ministry of healing. And you know, if you visit a doctor's office or a hospital, you see people who are sick and need to be healed. If you walk through a hospital ward, you're almost overwhelmed by the amount of sick people who need care and need to get better. And so this town was full of people who needed really a miraculous healing. There was no medical way that they could be healed. It had to be done through a miracle. 
And Peter, Simon, came to the Lord Jesus and said, Everybody's looking for you. Come on back to town and start healing more people. And Jesus had been praying. And what happened after he prayed? He said, Let us go somewhere else. Somewhere else? What about all the suffering people in Capernaum? Let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby. Why? So that I may preach there also. For that is what I came for. What is that all about? Well, the Lord Jesus was sent certainly to do some healing, but primarily to preach the gospel, that people would believe and be saved and have eternal life regardless of their problems in the here and now. That's why Jesus came. And what you find, and someone said it this way, the good is the best enemy or the greatest enemy of the best. And you have two competing priorities. One is good, one is best. How do we separate those out? Well, the Lord Jesus separated those in a time of prayer. Healing is a very, very good thing to be doing. But the best thing for him at that time was to be doing what he was sent for. And he was sent to preach the gospel that people might be saved and receive eternal life. And so prayer clarifies our priorities. Ever find yourself with conflicting priorities and demands and you want to know God's will? Talk to him in prayer and he will direct. And then number two, pray before great decisions. Now, the 12 apostles would be Jesus' most strategic decision. They would be the foundation stones of the church. And the night before he chose these men, he prayed. In Luke 6, we read, It was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples to him, and he chose twelve, whom he also named as apostles. And when we have big decisions to make, make it a matter of prayer. And then also pray for others. You know, on the night before the cross, the Lord Jesus prayed for us. We read this in John 17. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And so the Lord Jesus prayed for us on that night before the cross. That's something we can always do. There was a pastor whose daughter left her family and left the Lord. And she was off living in a life of real sin, real problems. And it was a grief to everyone, to mom and dad, to the church. But they had a prayer meeting each week and they prayed for many things, including this, this girl, this daughter of the pastor. Eventually, God answered that prayer and she came back. And the first thing she said to the congregation, who prayed for me? She knew that people were praying and it was God that brought her back. And God can do amazing things when we pray. We can pray for others and pray in great struggles. You know, the night before the cross, the Lord Jesus faced the great conflict of his earthly life. He was in the garden. He went a little beyond them in Matthew 26, fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And when we face a great conflict or struggle in our lives, it is time to pray. And when we pray, God does the impossible. There was a pastor and some people were driving on a road really in the middle of nowhere in a closed country. And there are countries where the gospel, the Bible, are highly, highly restricted. He was in one of these countries. 
and suddenly the steering wheel on the car froze in place. And you can't drive too far if the steering wheel is stuck. Now, if it's stuck going straight, well, you can go a long way around here. Our roads are straight. But if it's stuck on an angle, you've gone as far as you can go. So he had to stop the car. And he did that. And they weren't there for very long. And a man walked up, and the pastor thought, well, maybe this guy can tell us where we can find a mechanic. Instead, the man asked him, do you have any Gospels? Any copies of, say, the New Testament or the Gospel of John? What a question. And the man was not sure what to think about this, the pastor. He thought this might be a fellow from the secret police, and maybe he's trying to uh, find out if these are Christians trans you know, transporting Bibles and Scripture portions. And so he didn't know what to say, and he said, What makes you think we have any Gospels? And the man said, God told us if someone came along this road at this time, someone would be here with Gospels for our village. So basically God told them, if you go to this place on this road at this time, there's going to be somebody who you will meet who has Gospels, Scripture portions, for your little town. And he says, do you have them? And the pastor answered, yes, we do. And he gave the man all that he could carry. And so God can do amazing things when we pray. These can be discouraging times if you just pay attention to current events. But you know, as we pray, we're part of what God is doing. He can do great, great things, really unimaginable things like this. He can do that. One man said this, Tell God all that is in your heart as one unloads one's heart, its pleasures and pains, to a dear friend. Tell him your troubles, that he may comfort you. Tell him your joys, that he may sober them. Tell him your longings, that he may purify them. Tell him your dislikes, that he may help you to conquer them. Talk to him of your temptations, that he may shield you from them. Show him the wounds of your heart, that he may heal them. Lay bare your indifference to good, your depraved taste for evil, your instability. Tell him how self-love makes you unfair to others, how vanity tempts you to be insincere, and how pride disguises you to yourself and to others. If you pour out all your weaknesses in this way, all your needs and troubles, there'll never be any lack of what to say. You'll never exhaust the subject. It's constantly being renewed. People who have no secrets from each other never want for subjects of conversation. They don't weigh their words, for there is nothing to be held back. Neither do they seek for something to say. They talk out of the abundance of the heart without consideration just what they think. And blessed are they who attain to such a familiar, unreserved relationship with God. If someone has said, God is on the throne and prayer changes things. That's amazing. In these days of spiritual deception, we can rejoice that God does the impossible when we pray. The enemies of the gospel will never prevail. So be a person of prayer and be a part of what God is doing in these days. Number four, for living a Christian life in the days of spiritual counterfeits is this. Stay in love with God. Stay in love with God. When I lived in New England, we heated with wood, and the old-timers had a piece of advice. All you need is one match. Light your stove in October, and don't let the fire go out. And that was kind of the theory. And so we started out with that one match. I was a rookie, so I used more than one match, probably more than many matches. There's stories about that that I won't go into. But uh, anyway, start the fire in October, and don't let it go out. <laughs> And our love for God is like that fire in the wood stove. 
We need to keep it burning brightly, even in these days where it seems like the church can be kind of on the losing end of all this apostasy and spiritual deception. We need to keep that love for God burning brightly. Stay in love with God. Verse 21, he says this, Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Now the first step in staying in love with God is obedience. These words here are not a suggestion, but they come across in the original as words of command, words to be obeyed. And obedience to God's command is the first step in keeping that fire of love for God burning brightly. And to keep it brightly, avoid compromise. Psalm 97 says, Hate evil, you who love the Lord. And love for God means staying far away from evil, rejecting evil in its every form. There's one thing about a copier that is evil, and that is that toner that you use. You know, when you copy something, it comes out in black and white. The black is toner. It's this powder that's like flour, but it's black. And if you touch it, it stays. If you wipe it on your clothes, it stays. If you shake hands with somebody, it stays. And it's you've got to stay far away from the toner when you're changing the cartridge in the copier. And we need to stay far away from evil. That's important. To stay in love with God, we need to hate evil. And to compromise with sin is to pour cold water on our love relationship with God. Stay in love with God. Make no compromise with sin. And also, pursue right relationships. 1 John 4 says, If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. And it's good to take time to evaluate, inventory our relationships. Are they governed by Christian love? Or is there bitterness, resentment, even hate? When that happens, our love for God cannot thrive. And then to stay in love with God, eliminate the competition. Eliminate the competition. 1 John 2, Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now this world provides a lot of enjoyable things, but they can take the place of God. There is, of course, pleasure. There are many ways to have a good time in this world. There are possessions, material things. And then also there is the love of power. And the person who is in love with these things and lets them take the place of God cannot love God. So how do you respond to the lure of this world? Don't fall in love with this world and fall out of love with God. And also keep the lines of communication open. Psalm 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. To stay in love with God, praise him, and praise him for what he has done and what he is doing today. Keep the lines of communication open and stay in love with God. Number five, be ready for Jesus' return. Be ready for Jesus' return. Verse 21, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And living in days of spiritual deception means living with eager expectation. Jesus is coming again, and we're to be ready to be alert 
24-7. He can return at any time, and that time can be today. And at His return, eternal life begins. He says this, verse 21, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And what happens when He returns is this. The Bible says, The Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then, we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we will always be with the Lord. And the Bible tells us that the stage is set for Jesus' return. You know, when a believer dies and we place that body in the ground, you know, we'll buy a cemetery plot, but in reality, we could just rent it. But we buy it. And then, of course, when the Lord Jesus returns, it will be vacated. He'll descend from heaven with a shout. The dead in Christ will rise. With what? With the new forever body. A body that is made right, where all the old injuries are gone, all the old weaknesses are gone, and the body will be made new and made right, made to be an eternal body that will never get sick, never get old, and never die. And so the Bible tells us the stage is set. How close are we to Jesus' return? You know, construction projects are interesting. It looks like nothing's going on. And then the surveyors come out, and there's some stakes in the ground, and you think, hmm, something's happening here. There's a sign. And then you see the excavators, and they start moving dirt around, and you say, hmm, there's another sign. Then you see the buildings start to go up, and you say, there really is a sign. That store is coming to our town, you know, and we're pretty excited about what's going on. And you see that happening. And there are signs of the times that tell us that Jesus' return is ready to happen. What are those? Well, we know for one, one great sign, one huge sign, is that Israel is in the land. They shouldn't be there, humanly speaking, but they're there, they're living there. And the Bible says they have to be there when the Lord Jesus returns and after that happens during the time of the tribulation because there'll be a temple there, there'll be a ministry there, and the Antichrist, the world ruler, will shut all of that down. And so it has to be there. Israel's in the land, they're ready to go. They have preparations made for a temple and a priestly ministry. Of course, wars and rumors of wars, well, we know about that. The interesting thing about wars today, people don't talk about peace. They just talk about more war, and that's the time we're in. Why is that? Because Jesus' return is right around the corner. There are false Christs and famines, shortages of food. Think about that, sometimes due to weather, sometimes due to supply chain issues, but shortages of food. Earthquakes. There was one city somewhere that had a fire in an earthquake or a hurricane in an earthquake at the same time. You think, wow, why is that? Again, Jesus is coming again. And persecution. Christians are being persecuted all over the world, including here. Why is that? Because Jesus is returning. The very end of the Bible, Revelation 22:20, Jesus said this, I am coming quickly. Now you might think, wait a minute, it's been 2,000 years almost. Well, he doesn't mean quickly, but suddenly. And the idea is when he returns, the person who's not looking will be caught completely by surprise. It will be a sudden arrival. Ever get unexpected company at your house? They don't call up, they just knock, knock, knock. Here they are. Hey, we're staying for three days. Okay, good to see you. you know? And they're there. And the Lord Jesus will be an unexpected return for a lot of people. And sudden, out of nowhere, for a lot of people. He's coming suddenly. He will return. And so in these days of spiritual counterfeits, we need not spend our time trying to hunt down every heretic and heresy. We don't have to be heresy hunters. Rather than be looking for 
counterfeits, we need to be looking up and looking for Christ. And then also, rescue lost people. Imagine yourself on a ship. You know, I had this idea that I would love to be out on a ship. The problem is it's something I can't possibly do because I would get seasick as soon as I got on the ship before they even untied the first rope. You know, I'd be hanging over the rail. But I always think it would be fun to be on a ship and not seasick. Now, I understand you can get over it. We were watching this uh, documentary of a sailing ship that's a school ship for young men. And uh, they said they lost their appetite for a while, but then they got it back. And I think they were talking about seasickness without talking about it. But the idea is, imagine you can actually go out on a ship and you're not hanging over the rail, you're having a good time, and you happen to hear an SOS. And there is a ship on your course, not far away, that is going down. And there are passengers and crew in the water, and they're starting to sink below the waves. And it's an urgent SOS. And so your ship changes course a little bit, full speed ahead to get over to this wreck and save as many people as possible. We are in that situation today. And if you think about our world, in a sense, it is a shipwreck. And there are people going into eternity all the time without Christ. And we are here like the ship that is afloat, sent to, as the hymn says, rescue the perishing. So what do we do? It says this, Verse 22, have mercy on some who are doubting. We need to be rescuing lost people. And the first one is the person who is confused and undecided. And sometimes we meet that person who maybe has a mixed up spiritual background. They don't know who or what to believe, but they haven't trusted in Christ. We need to be gentle with them. We need to show mercy, but we need to do what we can to rescue them by sharing the gospel in a way that they can understand. And then also rescue the perishing, verse 23. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. You know, if you ever pulled a person out of a burning building or a burning car, you don't say, I hope you don't mind my doing this. No, what do you do? Well, I had this happen to me. I was a fire chaplain with the fire service years ago, and I got volunteered not to fight a fire, but to be a victim in a training fire. And so they put me in the bay where the fire trucks were, put me in some turnouts, and gave me an SCBA and said, you'll need to breathe this because we're going to fill this room with smoke, and then we're going to try to find you. And so be as quiet as you can. Don't yell for help or anything. Just sit there and don't make a sound. So I I had this uh, turnout coat on, and I made a mistake. I buttoned or clipped the top, top button. That was not a good idea. And so I'm in there trying to play hide-and-seek with the firefighters who were trying to find me. They're doing this search throughout the whole bay, which was pretty complicated. All of a sudden, I feel these hands in my collar, and And boy, they grabbed me out of there like I was a sack of potatoes. So I got outside, I'm coughing and gagging and choking. I said, I survived the fire, but I almost died in the rescue. And, you know, that is how you rescue somebody from the flames. You don't just come in and say, hey, would you uh, like me to help you out? Now let's talk about this for a while. No, this is the person who is the, appears to be the hopeless case. And they need some, what would I say, aggressive treatment, firm treatment. You need to get the message across in a way that they cannot mistake it. That's the person that we're talking about. Not everybody is that hopeless case. But some of them need to be grabbed by the collar and hauled out of the flames as quickly as possible so that they can be saved. Not so you can break their neck, but so they can be saved. 
And that's what it's all about. And so for some people, they need a very direct approach. And that's what he's saying here. Save others, snatching them from the fire. And then you also have the person who is the extremely sinful person. And it says here, On some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. And this is someone who is involved in sins of the worst kind, and you can make your own list. And just think of that person, somebody maybe nobody wants to have anything to do with them. And yet, they're lost, need to be rescued, they're in that shipwreck, they're going down in the water. And we need to do that, but we need to be careful, because they are contaminated, and we do not want to be contaminated by somehow being influenced by their sinful ways. So we need to be cautious. On the one hand, share the gospel with them, give them an opportunity to be saved, but don't adopt their thinking or their ways. And so our world is like a sinking ship, and many are struggling in the water and about to drown, and God has called us in these days to rescue the perishing. Just like the hymn says, do whatever we can to get the gospel to that person who is in danger of hell. Don't pass them by, but share Christ with them today. And then finally, rest in God's promises. You know, in these challenging times, we don't need to fear the counterfeit. We don't need to fear being taken uh, taken advantage of by the counterfeit or being deceived by the counterfeit. We can claim God's promises and rest in them and know that the best is yet to come. Verse 24, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, God will protect us where there are wolves in sheep's clothing. God will protect us and keep us safe in these days. And more than this, it says, will make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. And so one day we will stand before God, not in our sin, but in the righteousness of Christ. It's guaranteed God is able to do that, and he will do that. And we can be sure of that, even in these days of spiritual counterfeits. And so again, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now and forever. Amen. And that brings us to the conclusion of the book of Jude, a book that shows us how to know a counterfeit when we see it, reminds us of the danger, and how to live in these days. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and how it is a light for us in a dark world, helps us to navigate the confusion of our world today. Father, help us to live a Christian life in days in a world of spiritual counterfeits that we might shine for Christ and rescue those who are lost and need to be saved. In Jesus' name, amen.